Welcome to everyone tuning in. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Jillian Perkins. I'm the Director of Communications at Arnrich Messina, a Portland-based investment advisory firm bringing our unique and disciplined process and philosophy to high net worth individuals and families, nonprofit endowments and foundations, and corporate clients. Today, we bring you Technology and Transformation, Investment Trends to Watch For in 2019. Each year, we gather together our analytical team to talk about what we see coming for the next year. What are the major trends in culture, economics, and politics that could affect the investment landscape? And then out of that discussion, we compile our investment trends list. These are not intended to be investment recommendations, but are an interesting look into the potential future environment investors will face in the coming year. I have with me today co-CIO Brian Shipley and investment advisor Kate Dynas to share their thoughts and insights on our 2019 investment trends to watch for. Now we call this year's list technology and transformation because as we look toward 2019, we see continuing accelerated changes in technology shaping our world in new and different ways. But we also see transformation beginning with impact investing. So one major trend we see is that impact investing is no longer a niche, but is going mainstream. So Brian, tell me, what do you think about this trend? Yeah, this is a this is a space that we're going to spend a lot of time kind of delving into in 2019. And frankly, it's been an area where we spent a lot of kind of resource, uh, research resources in 2018. Um, I, I would expect to see kind of a coming podcast series on on impact, diving more deeply into kind of each of the facets of the space. And then also just a lot of manager manager approvals that are happening here late in 2018 and early 2019. Um, I, as we kind of re-canvas the opportunity set um, from a decade ago when we first really started getting invested uh, and interested in, in impact investing, I think what we've been most impressed by is not necessarily just the, the quantity of options available to investors who are focused on impact, but the quality mm. of the organizations who mm-hmm. are providing kind of solutions around this space. And that, that's been one of the, the most um, kind of eye-opening things of, of looking at it from a decade ago versus today. It's, it's just a much stronger environment to, yeah. to be able to find solutions for investors who, are, who want, um, want to invest in this manner. Um, it's really important. We think investors can really kind of continue to focus on their long-term investment goals, but but weave more of a kind of value-oriented um, approach to their investment decision-making. And what are we seeing as far as demand for this kind of investing from clients or just from the, the industry in general? The demand has been great, and I think it's interesting. We're seeing millennials and our younger book of business on our wealth management side ask and show interest Mm -hmm. in impact investing but I think what's interesting too is we're seeing it across all ages as well so from young to old and everywhere in between I think more and more people are very interested in aligning their portfolios and the underlying investments with their values so I think the demand just seems to be continuing to increase over time. And is this just for individual investors, or is this appropriate for institutional investors also? Yeah, I think it really hits both. I think the, the first crowd you'll see move is definitely more of the, the individual investor side, but we're definitely seeing more interest uh, from the endowment foundation marketplace. Um, again, that, that quality of manager that, are, that now have mm-hmm. solutions in the space. And I, I guess one of, the, one of the other things I would point to of a huge change over the last 10 years is this conversation comes up with almost every single manager that we talk to today, whether wow. they're kind of waving that 
ESG or impact flagged, I think I think asset managers across the board is kind of data has improved on some of the risks that come up from a sustainable standpoint, how managers can incorporate that data and, and that evaluation and the materiality of those risks into their evaluation of a company and how that might might fit in their portfolio. Well, that is fantastic. And that's a trend that we are really well positioned to be part of. So it's very exciting. Um, for our second trend, we make a full 180 degree turn toward technology. The age of the machine is taking hold. We don't want to say that the robots are taking over, but well, the robots are taking over. Kate, what do you think are the pros and cons of artificial intelligence and machine learning? I think some of the advantages to AI and machine learning is that we're seeing efficiencies increase throughout different industries and the, the innovations mm -hmm. there are enormous and I think we're just starting to begin to learn what right. the potential is in these two sectors specifically. How do you feel about a, being driven by a robot car? <laughs> Oh gosh, <laughs> it's a little bit terrifying, yeah. but um, surgery I'd be open by to a it. robot surgeon. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough question, and I think we see robo advisors, at least in our industry. So we're starting to feel that within fintech. Right. But I do think fundamentally, there's always an advantage to having an in-person relationship, whether that's yeah. like an investment advisor yeah. or being able to sit down and yeah. meet with your doctor. Or a surgeon, So right? I, Yeah, I struggle with that a little bit, but I think it's it's almost too early to tell, yeah. but, I, but I'm intrigued. It's quite a transition, and what does it mean for investors, Brian? Yeah, it's, it's funny as we sit here talking about robots, I'm picturing kind of this stick-armed you know, metal machine <laughs> right. that is walking around and maybe it has kind of a digital face that pretends like it's talking, but that's really not what we're talking about. I think, you know, I think Kate hit on it a lot is it's not really hardware that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's really kind of the implementation of software mm -hmm. into our lives. And that that's going to feel, um, in some instances, it might feel abrupt and some, it might be natural. I just, I think back to, um, you know, like Starbucks when they first started, incorporating mobile ordering and the ability to pay with your phone right. at, at first I thought that was it's kind of ridiculous who needs to order their coffee in advance and <laughs> right. have it ready for them when they go in the store but People you know to, to give a to give an example my wife I mean she's extremely busy we have a household with three young boys she yeah. works practically full-time and so balancing that life and she often needs a little pick-me-up and she's a big fan of their chai tea lattes and so you know to to pick that up between here and uh, between home and work it can be a challenge and yeah. so you know she's able to put that order in advance pop right in and be right out and it's just it, it's just efficiency within our lives instead of having to wait that five ten minutes to place your order right. and then and then wait for your drinks it's, it's kind of those more nuanced ways that that i think we're kind of seeing this um in our lives um it's also not just the not just that, but um, I think the way people think robots and technology is only going to help um, kind of big technology-oriented companies. Right. But again, it's going to kind of efficiencies and yeah. and how to make our, our world more efficient companies are looking at it from kind of a cost-benefit uh, standpoint and how they can make their operations more efficient. So this really kind of touches all of our lives, be it our individual lives or our corporate lives. So how do you think it will affect the job landscape. People are worried, I know, about jobs leaving, but will it also create enough new jobs managing the robots or the machines, machine learning, um, developing those technologies? 
Yeah, I'll take that. I think it's. I think that's a big challenge because where we've seen that happening a lot is exactly in that kind of displacement of jobs. So, um, it's a huge challenge. You walk. You. I gave the Starbucks example, but you walk into McDonald's. You're you're ordering in front of a screen. In fact, I was at Costco this weekend, and now they even have mobile mobile kind of kiosk. I shouldn't say mobile, but kiosk to order your food. Oh wow! At Costco, oh, which is wow. like I never would have thought I would have seen that there. So. <laughs> That's something to be aware of. Um, you know, certainly any kind of jobs that are more routine and mundane in their in their tasks, those likely are at risk. And so, how do we, as a nation, kind of think about um, improving skills and education to yeah. have those people kind of serve higher need roles within their companies and and how they make their livings? Science fiction world. Um, so for our next trend, trend number three, we circle all the way back to the transformation side of things with donor-advised funds, which seem to be the next new thing. Uh, Kate, what are donor-advised funds and why are they becoming so popular? Donor-advised funds are a great solution for any client or individual that is charitably inclined. Mm. So they are very tax-efficient and flexible um, vehicles to give. Mm. So what? why they're enticing is um, you get a tax deduction in the year that the gift is made. Mm-hmm. And then it, within this donor advised fund, the original donation has the opportunity to grow tax-free. Oh. And depending on what custodian you're using over a certain threshold, um, if you do have an investment advisor, they're able to pick the underlying investments within oh. that fund, which can be very attractive for individuals. And then, so do you have to choose the charity that it's going to go to before you invest in it? No, you do not, which is wow. another attractive reason. So if you're not entirely sure where you want to make the gift, or even right. if you do know who you want the beneficiary of that gift to be. The donor advised fund provides ultimate flexibility, mm-hmm. so you can either support the charity that you know and love in the year that you make the gift, or you can do it five years from that time period, whenever the time is right, and then once you pinpoint what charity you want that to be, then you can do it whenever the time is right for you. So I think that's um, those are some of the advantages of donor advised funds. That's fantastic. Can you separate it out and give it to multiple charities? You, you can. Wow. Yeah, so as long as it's an IRS-approved 501c3, then you can make the gift to whatever charity of your choice. So that we see as being very exciting for next year. Um, our fourth trend, number four, focuses on cash. We think 2019 may be the year that we rediscover cash yield. So Brian, tell us more about this and some background on it. Yeah, so just to give some context on where cash was, at least over my career, I I started my career in kind of the mid to late 90s as a performance reporting analyst, so basically putting together performance reports. I I can remember it was almost like routine every quarter you'd plug in 1.25% for your cash return. And, you know, at the time that didn't seem like Mm. much. Equity markets were roaring and uh, 1.25 a quarter equaling 5% a year was like, "Eh, that's okay, but... You know, what we've seen come out of the global financial crisis is just this complete collapse in the risk-free rate to basically nothing. Nothing. And so what that did is that that pushed people out on the risk spectrum fairly dramatically. So Mm. it's kind of 
that was the intent that the Fed and quantitative easing really had was to was to encourage people to invest and take risk. And so mission accomplished. Here we are, you know, 10 years later, kind of trying to figure out how to unwind some of that. And, and that's certainly a, a big challenge that we face. But, you know, the bigger story is cash actually is earning somewhat of a return today, whereas it hasn't historically. And that has a pretty profound impact on a lot of different things. So not only does that um, challenge how willing people are to accept equities if cash can earn something, but how does that influence bond returns and hedge fund returns? Um, we actually think hedge funds could benefit a little bit from a rising rate environment where mm. um, for, for strategies that use kind of more futures or derivatives type positions, right. the collateral that offsets some of those positions can actually earn a return. and. Um, with traditional long-only equity managers, typically they hold a little bit of cash in their portfolio as they're kind of um, moving in and out of different securities. And in a raging environment, like the raging uh, up environment that we've seen over the past 10 years, that has been a drag relative yeah. to you know, an S&P 500 type index. Yeah. And today, now that that cash is actually earning something, so it won't be quite the... Um, the drag on portfolio returns that we've seen historically. This is good news for conservative <clears throat> investors, right? That's right. <laughs> um, so trend number five, it would not be a conversation about current trends without talking about blockchain technology. This coming year, we think blockchain is going to wind its way into numerous industries, expanding beyond cryptocurrencies. So Brian, what is blockchain technology and what are some of the areas that we're seeing this technology being used in? Yeah, I'm not, I don't want to dive a ton into blockchain technology, just certainly something that we're looking at. I, I think about what people usually think of blockchain and cryptocurrencies really synonymous with one another. We, we as a firm really separate the two out. It's funny thinking about this time last year, um, one of the most viewed content that we've put out as an organization was a was a video, Bitcoin 101. a Bitcoin 101 <laughs> yeah. video that our colleague Mitch Vogt put together. And uh, you know, at the time, cryptocurrencies were right. soaring, and and if you follow the news, they've they've had a, a pretty uh, pretty big fall from those yeah. highs of of the end of the year last year. Um, but what I think we're going to see with from a blockchain standpoint is there, there can be a lot of applications for that te technology. And um, I think a lot of it will be centered around kind of real assets. So thinking of real estate, um, where yes, investors can in invest in real estate through a REIT, which is a publicly traded company, but the application of blockchain technology and kind of securitizing um, a large asset so smaller investors can get exposure to that, I think that's certainly something that we could see evolve down the road where that, that that security that you're buying, you can kind of write mm. write in rules and certain regulations, and 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 that could be a really interesting um, application of blockchain blockchain technology. I've heard it's big in the travel and hospitality mm -hmm. industry, so that's one area yeah. that we're going to see more of that. Yeah, I guess another example, just real quickly, is uh, there's an ETF called GLD, uh -huh. which most ETFs are um, kind of tied in with a derivative, so you're not actually owning the physical real asset. GLD actually the gold is held in vaults and, and it's kind of securitized across any any client who wants exposure to that. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of that mindset. It's not going to be an ETF wrapper necessarily, but it's it's that similar mindset where you can actually own a physical asset. You don't have to keep it at your house or in your backyard, but um, it's just a way to kind of broaden right. the, the investment universe for clients. Oh, and a piece of it. Yeah. I've heard that yeah. it's used for art too. Art yeah. investors, you can own a a portion of we've, a piece of artwork. We've seen it for art, exotic cars, wow. all sorts of different things. So, <clears throat> Very interesting. 
Um, so trend number six, our next trend is back to the transformation side of things, opportunity zones. So Kate, what are opportunity zones and how does this benefit investors? Well, we continue to learn more and more about opportunity zones. It seems like on a daily basis and opportunity zones resulted from the tax cut and job job cut act that was passed in December. And um, what's interesting is that this continues to evolve and what opportunity zones are, they vary from state to state. So state legislatures had to spend a lot of time in the springtime of this year identifying what an opportunity zone was in their, in their respective state. And so these are um, created or identified to hopefully incentivize commercial real estate developers and other investors to invest in underserved areas mm -hmm. of our cities, mm -hmm. um, tip typically that are under a certain po poverty line or mm -hmm. median income threshold. And why this is attractive for investors is that um, there's a tax benefit that goes along with it. Ah. So say that you invest $100,000 in an opportunity zone fund. You get to defer that gain for mm. seven years. And then at the end of the seven years, you get a 15% exclusion on the 100000 So as long as it's a realized long-term right. or short-term capital gain that you invest in the opportunity zone, you get... Um, a 15% discount, if you will. So you okay. only pay tax on $85,000 instead of right. $100,000. So really significant it's capital a, gains yes. tax benefit. Exactly. Know. It's a really um, attractive tax minimization strategy. And then in addition to the tax break that you get, you also get to um, any appreciation mm -hmm. that's occurred over the next seven to ten years mm -hmm. is tax-free from both the state and federal level. Wow. Yeah, so it's really attractive. Um, we're continuing to learn more and more about it and how we can um, potentially think about using this to help our investors who do have significant realized long-term or short-term capital gains. And um, I imagine that you're seeing a lot of interest in this already probably yes it's been a hot topic and a, <laughs> you'll probably hear about it at any christmas party that you go to wow. Uh, wow. but yes it's um, a big topic for us we're actually having an event about it next week oh. yeah. so um, stay tuned for more information about ozones yeah and I, just to chime in there a little bit so the portland market actually the, what has been identified as opportunity zones are actually some pretty attractive pockets within the city and so some of the managers that we're currently working with have actually been exploring launching funds dedicated to this exact opportunity that, that we're pretty excited about. That's fantastic. That's an exciting one, too. Um, which brings us to our final trend, number seven. And the last trend we're going to talk about is volatility, which we see returning to the market after quite an extended bull market. So, Brian, what does this mean for investors and what can they do to prepare for this? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that we're closing the podcast with this topic and closing out 2018 with this topic because we have definitely seen a shift in the marketplace here in October and December where you're seeing equity markets kind of peeling off from their highs pretty substantially in it. And it can certainly feel a little abrupt because 2017 and years prior, we've kind of been, as investors, we've kind of been lulled to sleep by right. this cheap money that we talked about earlier and, and, and just encouraging people to take risk and so we had almost this really smooth escalator ride up mm -hmm. and people have kind of forgotten that equity markets can be volatile right. and um, 
you know, I frankly, as we close out 2018 and go into 2019, there's a lot of things that investors need to kind of weigh. And just frankly, normal market volatility is, is coming back to the market as well. Right. So I think it's important that we talk about it. Um, the market doesn't owe investors double digit returns right. every year. There's there's a, a risk for taking equity equity like exposure and, right. and we're starting to see some of those risks bear today. Millennial investors may not even remember a time right. when there was volatility like this in the market. Um, and so what are some of the strategies that investors can use to manage their risk in this kind of an environment? Yeah, so we, we encourage investors to kind of stick with their long term goals. Right. And so from a from a asset allocation perspective, I think it's important to kind of check in with your advisors from time to time and and make sure that we kind of have you fit within the right uh, risk return construct from a from a portfolio management standpoint. We expect markets to behave this way at times. Right. It's it's part of the deal of earning really attractive long term returns. Yeah. And as an advisory firm and as as an investment committee, we look at at ways to kind of dampen investor volatility and protect yeah. client capital in certain environments. And so some of the some of the things you've seen us doing over the past few years pushing a little bit more into value, looking at international markets a little bit more from a valuation perspective, being aware of a rising rate environment, how that might impact your bond portfolio, mm -hmm. looking at kind of more conservative real estate strategies that are more income focused. Those are the kind of things that we're doing kind of on the margin to protect client capital and really protect them from this downside. It's also important to remember, I mean, we had a lot of questions about why even have a diversified portfolio? Why don't right. I just own the S&P yes. 500? Yep. And this is the reminder of why you own bonds in your portfolio. It's not necessarily because they're earning a really attractive return, but they kind of act as that shock absorber for your yeah. portfolio when markets turn down. Um, so it's really important to kind of keep that in mind as well. Why you need an investment advisor. That's right. <clears throat> um, so great. That wraps up our 2019 investment trends to watch for, technology and transformation. I wanted to say a huge thank you to both of you, to Brian and Kate, for being with us today and sharing their insights. You can read our complete investment trends article uh, and find more information on our website at barnrichmessina.com. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Arnrich Messina's podcast. Please see the podcast description for important copyright and disclaimer information. 